0: Welcome to the Wounded Healers podcast. I'm Janessa.
1: And I'm Amy.
0: We were brought together by our shared wound of an autoimmune
1: condition in our early 20s. This is a place where we explore our wounds with our listeners and guests who recognize the challenges of being human in hopes of helping all of us let Let the the light light in. in. Hey Amy how you doing? Hi Janessa I'm good and hi to all of our listeners welcome back to the Wounded Healers podcast. Another exciting episode and I feel like we start every episode with another (laughs) exciting episode but this one really blows them all out of the water because we have a special guest and I will let Janessa introduce them now.
0: Yes, so I'm also very excited about today. Amy and I have always known we wanted to do an episode like this, and we wanted someone on who has more of a background in sexual education and just um, sex in general. So without further ado, we have Joey on today, and um, I wanted to ask our preferred pronouns, or if there's a better way to go about asking that, Joey. Um, How do we start that conversation?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I'm really, really delighted to be here. Um, podcast listeners can't see me, but I have a very big smile on my face. So, <laughs> um, yeah, that's a really great question. So, my name is Joey, and my pronouns are they, them, and theirs. Um, typically, we say that pronouns are not preferred; um, they're mandatory. And yeah, a great way to go about asking that question is to just introduce yourselves with your name, whatever name feels good for you. For the moment, whatever pronouns feel good for you for the moment, and ask the same of the person that you're talking to.
0: I love that. Yeah, so I'll, I'll start too. I, I'm i Janessa, and right now my pronouns are she, her.
1: As are mine.
0: Amazing, and I'm
2: Joey, and my pronouns are they, them, and have been for a long time, which feels really good, and I will let people know if and when that changes. Nice. That's awesome.
1: Thank so you. How, how is it that um. Janessa and you, Joey, know each other, or Janessa, maybe you can answer that question.
0: Yeah. So I met Joey through one of my very, very, very good friends, Roslyn. Um, I love Roslyn so much, and Roslyn loves Joey. And so I remember hearing about Joey, and I was like, this person sounds so amazing. And I had a trip to Washington, um, and that's where Roslyn lives currently. And I got to meet Joey finally, and they were just such a lovely being and so I have been just pleasantly surprised and like warmly let in and they live together so that's how I met Joey and um, it's pretty amazing because it's only one time I've met you in person Joey and I feel already like a bond to you and I'm like yes there's kinship there
2: (laughs) yes I feel that too it was honestly I like have a lot of just like joy when I think about our time together it just like always makes me smile it's a nice touchstone memory to have
1: same here You guys are already melting me with your like sweet americanness and making me feel so awkward and british. I love <laughs> it. <laughs> i every time i talk every every time i'm like i wish we were like that <laughs> i'm working on it i'm trying to, i'm i'm working on it
0: oh, yes. <laughs> absolutely well joey will you be uh, would you be willing to tell us a little bit more about your background and your knowledge um around like sex and any sexual education just so our listeners can hear a bit about that too
2: Yes, absolutely. Um, Well, first um, I would say, just to give you a little bit of understanding of who I am and like the positionalities that I hold, um, I'm 29, I am a white person who's also an Ashkenazi Jew um, and I am queer and non-binary and disabled uh, and have chronic pain um, from having a professional dance career. Um, so that's a little bit of a grounding of who I am and some of the positions that I inhabit and in the society that we have in the United States. Um, I have been in sexual health education. I started out in an abortion access fund in 2014. Um, and I've been in sexual health education in some way or another ever since. Um, and I am currently going for a dual master's, a master's in social work and a master's in public health um and with a certificate in maternal and child health um so my credentials are out there um and i will be graduating in like three months
0: (laughs) oh my gosh that's so exciting joey what thank you (laughs) Yeah, you you are so you are dedicated to like when I met the one time I've met Joey, even though it feels like I've known you for like a little lifetime now, I (laughs) we were eating and Joey and I were talking about sex and sexual education around um, people with different um, mobility issues and just different backgrounds because sexual education, at least in the US, Amy, it seems like when I was younger, all that was shown was like heterosexual sex and Honestly, just the basic things and no aspect of how that could feel or what that can do to people emotionally. And honestly, no education on consent when I was younger. So Mm. I know things have sped up a lot in at least California and they've refined and uh, redefined parts of their sexual education. But when I meet people like Joey who are here and like presenting other ways that we need to consider and know about sex, being it provides me with a lot of joy because
1: a lot of people have been left out of the discussion for a really long time. Mm, yeah, to so go even one step further than heterosexual sex. From what I remember, it was literally just the males. It was literally like, this is what happens to the man. This yeah. is what you do to the man. And there's a female there. <laughs> and you're like, oh. <laughs> um, yeah, that's definitely, yeah, I'm completely, completely right in what you're saying. Mm -hmm. i know but it has come a long way since then obviously it was a while ago that we were at school now i know i have (laughs) to admit i feel a little sad
0: about that i was considering it i was like oh damn it's been a hot minute so (laughs) yes but yeah joey we we reached out to some of our listeners too and gathered some questions that you know they would like to know more about and that we amy and i were Mm -hmm. curious about too um We want to start off with, like, communication. We just communicated our pronouns, our names that we are going by at this time, and we wanted to ask you kind of what are some ways that you can communicate with your partner, like, before um, having sex and communicate, like, what you're interested in and doing at that time?
2: Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, And something that I was thinking about as you were both talking about your experiences of hearing about sex, learning about sex, is I thought it might be nice to start with a question that I usually start my workshops with as a good framing that I think is also a really important framing for when we're starting to have these conversations with our partner or partners. And so one of my favorite questions, and I'll share one of my favorite answers with you after I hear yours, are um, what is a definition that you've heard of to describe sex? Mm. And it can be any definition that you desire doesn't have to be yours. Um, but I would love to hear,
0: yeah, what that means to you. Wow. Oh my gosh. I'll go first. And let me tell you, this definition is like, it's not the definition I want to have connotated with sex, but this is what was really put in my mind growing up is that sex is when, literally this is how it was like taught to me growing up. It's when a penis goes in a vagina, which by the way, we know is false. That's not just the only way of sex and it's used to procreate. And that to me is such a sad definition. So sad. So that that is honestly the one I had growing up. That was like the messages I was given. Um, currently I'd flip that and say, you know, sex doesn't even have to be any penetration. There's other ways around that. And, um, sex can be for everybody and anybody with the right consent, and it can be just for pleasure. You don't have to want or need a baby. Sheesh. <laughs> yeah,
1: yes. yeah the, the, the definition that sticks in my mind is definitely the classic, like, when a man and a woman love each other, they'll, mm-hmm. like, do, they'll do things together that will, like, that, that classic kind of thing. Um, is definitely the one that sticks in my mind. And I guess, like, how I would describe sex now or a definition of sex, it d- definitely around, still like, a kind of expression of intimacy, both with yourself and with a partner, I guess. Mm,
2: yeah. Oh, I love all of those definitions, even the ones that are, like, not my personal favorites, but ones that have been taught because I think it's important to name what we've been taught so we understand where we can like grow out of it. Um one of my favorite definitions that I heard from a young person in one of my classes once was something some people do sometimes. And I was like, oh, oh it's yes. so good. <laughs> uh, yeah. And
1: I love, I love that
2: the definition because it gives you so much room to explore what sex can be. Um, I often also talk about sex as intimacy. Um, and I think that that creates more space for us to learn what feels good for us. How do we embody our pleasure? How do we ask for our pleasure? It, we just take out genitals altogether, right? Like, Mm -hmm. they they don't have to be involved. Um, and so when you're starting to talk about sex or intimacy with your partner or partners, or even with yourself, I think it's important to have these conversations with yourself as well, and to have sex with yourself if that feels good. Um, I think it's really important to start with what is your definition of sex? What is the definition of sex that you've learned? And what is the definition of sex that you hold as true and close to you at this moment in time? And do you have any aspirations around what you want your sex to be? And so I think like that's sort of the foundation of this conversation um, and a good starting point.
0: Wow. Joey, (laughs) you just blew my mind. Like, Like, no, literally, like, it's interesting because I'm reaching these points in my life where there's things where I'm like, okay, I get to reparent myself, I call it, but I know there's other terms for it. But I I have not considered the ways in which I want to reparent myself around my sex and the experience of having sex with myself and having sex with another person. And that blows my mind because it's, it's almost like I forget what's within my control sometimes and that fully is. So, wow. Yeah. So I'll, I'll let you guys go because I got a bit to think about here. How do we frame this?
1: <laughs> no, yeah, that was super powerful, and it's actually interesting. Um, yeah, using the term "reparent," I think is is really interesting there because I think a lot of us growing up, we didn't have parents' support in exploring. I don't know. I, for one, it was more like they they didn't get involved in those kind of conversations with me. Basically, as I think a lot of parents didn't like you know 10 years ago or whatever um so yeah even just the thought of having bringing your own self-parent into that conversation is really interesting
0: totally my so you know a little tiny interesting background so my mom had me at 17 and when I was in high school I got a very brief like in the kitchen not the right setting sex talk from my mom and she was just like whatever you do don't get pregnant like I love you but like you want you want to be able to enjoy your life but also she's like I will never forget this it was interesting because my stepdad was in the kitchen when she was talking to me so I was like oh god I feel so uncomfortable right now but he was just like find out what you like and I had no idea what that meant and like he was like find out what you like like you can like try different things with yourself to find out what you like. And I was like I, in that time my little my my brain at that moment was like I can't fathom my parents saying this right now. Also, I don't know how to put this together cuz like that's such minimal stuff in a weird setting. But I remember being like find what you like and uh yeah. And and I and I found an electric toothbrush that I really liked. So <laughs> that worked out just fine at that time, but <laughs> But yeah, that's not my parents talked about it.
2: Yes, I love that. Oh, yes. Okay. Would love to share a brief history of Joey becoming a sex educator. Um, my mom, when I was nine years old, it was like fourth grade, and we were going to start our like bodies unit in school, um, New York public schools. And yeah, my mom was like, hey, so like, I have a question for you. And I was like, Sure. And she was like, Do you know what sex is? And I was like, obviously. She was like, Okay, like, can you tell me what it is? And I was like, Yeah, it's when you're all sassy. And she <laughs> was like, oh, What? And I was like, Well, you watch sex in the city, isn't that what sex oh, is? It's when she was like, Oh my god. Okay. <laughs> and so she prepared to have the sex talk with me. We I like was getting ready for bed and she like laid down in bed with me and started telling me about it. Um, and she did like really only present a penis in a vagina scenario of sex, but also to her immense credit, she didn't tell me about pregnancy at the time. She was like, that's how you can get pregnant, but it's for pleasure. Um, and I think also I will say like growing up in a reform and reconstructionist Jewish community, pleasure is a really central part of our culture, um, and our liturgy, And so I think that that was really impactful and important for me. But my poor mother thought this was going to be like a 10 or 15 minute conversation. And I was appalled. I was like, I'm sorry, we do what with our bodies? And I like (gasps) so many questions and I was so (laughs) dressed out. And yeah, my mom was like, like hours, hours later, she like finally got out of there. (laughs) That's on my journey to becoming a sex educator.
1: <laughs> wow. That's amazing. That's amazing that you had that with your mum.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I really I feel lucky about around all of the like adults who reared me and were really open mm-hmm. around pleasure in sometimes not the most like child-friendly ways, but like, you know, like we're really doing a good job of saying, like, no, our bodies are meant to meet in pleasure with other bodies.
0: Oh, that... Our mm-hmm. bodies are meant to meet in pleasure with other bodies. That's That feels really good to me. That resonates with me deeply.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally. So do you think that kind of leads on to another question that we had, which is around how? what's the best way to tell your partner that what they're doing isn't giving you pleasure without causing them to one, panic that they're hurting you, or two, you know, completely kill the mood. Because it's something people with chronic pain, d- you know, deal with all the time. A lot of sex isn't always comfortable for completely healthy, pain-free people, let alone <laughs> when you uh, when you are suffering with pain. So how, how can you broach that subject, you know, mid, mid-deed?
2: Mid-deed. As I was saying, <laughs> and I was like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> Um, that's a really good question and i would say i would say that that conversation actually starts if possible before or after Mm -hmm. sex um -hmm. or whatever you're considering sex um in part because i want to like properly credit the person who said this i think it was um this person who goes under the handle on instagram queer sex therapy casey tanner i believe their name is um I think it was this person who said this, but that everything in between sex is foreplay. And I loved that it really resonated with me because it means that all of the small interactions that we're having with ourselves, with our partner, with our partners is, the, is setting the stage for safety and for consent and for pleasure and for eroticism in for when we step into what we define as sex. Um, and so I would say ideally those conversations at least get a foundation laid in between sex. Um, sometimes that's not possible. Sometimes you're bringing home a date from like a night out and all of a sudden you're in bed and you're like, or wherever in the kitchen, whatever feels good. (laughs) You're like, oh, ow. Um, and so I would say that some logistical ways to bring up that conversation is to say like oh ow that actually doesn't feel good but this would feel really good um right Mm -hmm. to frame it as a like not this but this yes please nice um is always a nice way to do that and there's a much deeper conversation underneath this conversation and it's around rejection and rejection resilience Mm -hmm. um which i could talk for like years about I was first introduced to this idea by one of my hero sex educators. Um, their name is Karen, the initials B, K, and then Chan. Um, and they're, they do an enormous, incredible amount of work around rejection resilience. So how do we understand rejection? How do we understand it as boundary setting? How do we feel rejection because it never feels good, but maintain our resilience around it and uphold not only The person in front of us uphold their humanity but also protect our humanity
0: Mm -hmm. yeah I love that and also it just it makes me think I've never considered the word rejection but I have actually felt that sexually like I have felt rejection when my partner um, in the past or past partners have reached you know a point of coming and I have not and then it's done and it's like Mm -hmm. all right Mm -hmm that was good. And then thinking of shift, but like my needs were not taken into consideration, like I was not done. So mm-hmm. I've never thought of rejection as that like word, but it, it honestly is the feeling it feels like, cause it's like, okay, you're rejecting my needs. It seems that this was only about your needs, you know? So, yeah.
2: yeah, absolutely. And then how do we negotiate rejection, right? Like there are ways mm-hmm. to offer rejection and say, hey, this isn't for me at this time. This is a boundary I need to set for me so that I can show up better for me and for you. And there's also that, which is like, I'm only in my own headspace and I am not engaging in relationship while I'm having sex, which like is a valid form of sex. But that also I think needs to be talked about beforehand as like, we are both here for ourselves or we're all here for ourselves. And like, we're all good to go with that.
0: Wow. That, that kind of, that like leads into, I think, another question we got, Amy, which was like, um, what, so I'm going to reframe the question because the question was worded as like, what do you do um, if like when you're having sex, you're not present, like you're thinking of other things, but I'd like to kind of reframe that a little to fit this better of like, how, how do you work on shifting your mindset into either a state of being actively with that partner during the experience of sex if that's what you both want and then how do you decide if that's not what you want and like what are some examples of what that could be like or feel like
2: Mm. yeah that's such a beautiful question because I feel like that is a very universal experience that's not talked about I think one of the first things that came to mind when you asked that question in that new way was like, well, this is a conversation. Um, And it's a conversation with you and with your partner or your partners. Um, And it's also a conversation you get to have with yourself. Um, One of my partners has like a really beautiful conversation with herself where she is like constantly checking in and saying like, okay, like this is a relatively new partnership. We're like working on this really intentionally how do I want to show up in sex with Joey? I want to make sure that it's really intentional and that like we are connecting as like two people in this relationship. And if I'm not like fully present and fully desiring this, I don't yet want to step into sex just for having our needs met. And that's also a conversation that we've had together. How do you feel about that? What feels important for you right now? And both of us, felt like having like quick, dirty, dirty in like the best beautiful way, sex to like have our like bodily needs met feels really great and really hot and really flattering down the road. But right now, what we want is connection um, when we're engaging in sex, especially. I would say also, and this is, this can be really, really hard if you have pain, um, is taking your presence like from your head into your body because we are typically experiencing pleasure in our body and that's not to say that we don't also experience pleasure in our heads with our fantasies and the narratives that we create um and the like many different ways we engage in like erotic literature or erotic videos or you know whatever um but a lot of the work that i do and this doesn't work for everybody is to try and find ways to drop into our bodies in ways that also feel safe and aren't triggering to our pain. And sometimes that looks like being able to feel our whole body. And sometimes that looks like being able to feel our like pinky toe and being like, hey, partner, give my pinky toe a lot of attention right now. Like, this is a place that feels safe for me. Like, give me some erotic touches in this way. Um, And so like finding those points of connection with your body so that your body can find other points of connection
1: with the other body that you're engaging in intimacy with. Mm. I have a little something yeah. to add on this because I was sexually assaulted when I was 19 so quite early into my experience of having sexual partners and since then I've had to do a lot of work on the grounding myself within having sex because I used to disassociate a lot because of obviously that's a normal thing that can happen to you kind of post trauma, especially like that kind of intimate space. Um, So I have a few things that I can kind of like recommend for this question in a more like in a super practical way. I will, like really focus on where I'm like feeling, feeling physical feelings, which I know that sounds like the most simplest thing, but it's something that I used to not do a lot. So Mm I would like really focus on like my lower back and like my belly and like groin area and like focus my energy on that and even kind of like focus um, feeling energy in my feet, which sounds strange, but it's kind of like bringing my head all the way down through my body and also working on my breathing is really important for me during sex but i just i kind of also wanted to flag that for in, in like a literal practical that these are some things you can do but also to say that anyone listening to this like it's okay to if you don't know how you're turning up to sex as well because you know the way you guys were talking there which i fully appreciate of like this is what i want these are my needs and I, for a long time in sex, I didn't know what my, I hadn't explored, I didn't know what my needs were. And um, it's okay if you're at that stage as well. Like you don't even, no matter who you are, how old you are, if you're turning up and you're still exploring it, that's totally cool. Like we're not all here knowing exactly what we want in the bedroom and like how we get it. And that's really normal. just wanted to tell everyone in the world. <laughs> that's yeah.
2: normal. Uh, yes, thank you for, like naming that really explicitly because sex and knowing how you show up in sex is a lifelong process and it's going to change your life too and yeah thank you for sharing your experience also um Mm
1: -hmm. yeah i mean it's so it's so important. Like It's only the older I've got, the realize how ma- I've realized how many people share that experience as well and how impactful it is and how often it happens when you're still fairly young. Not that that makes a difference. I'm sure it happening to you at any point in your life is equally as traumatizing. But when it happens to you when you're young and you lose that connection with yourself and sex, you miss a lot of good years of figuring out what your pleasure is and what feels good to you and stuff like that so yeah I'm a I'm much more comfortable with talking about it than I used to be for sure
2: yeah I was gonna say like I also had that experience and for a long time I also dissociated from sex and that's an absolutely valid way of having sex um and I also started framing all of my sex as or all of the sex that I was having as like my responsibility to keep the other person safe yeah I was never actually fully engaging in my own pleasure and it wasn't until very very recently that I realized how powerful it could feel needing sex I refuse Mm. to ever label sex as a need because it is nobody's responsibility to fulfill your needs in that way but it also can be a need and that can be a really beautiful thing to experience yeah
0: that struck a chord with me I'm just over here kind of having a little weep (laughs) because I just am like it's yeah I am so grateful that you both are opening up about that I don't know how to label an experience I had but like my very first what I would call at the time love and my first sexual experience ever um, who I lost my virginity to was significantly older than me and was actively like taking full advantage of me while cheating on me with multiple partners and calling me crazy literally gaslighting me the entire relationship for three years was gaslit and was under the pretenses of you can't tell anybody about this or like because you're younger and like it can ruin me working in the U.S. because they were from Scotland and so I had this whole notion of sex as being what you just said um, Joey but like a little bit different of like okay like Sex is to, like, be private. Sex is not to be talked about. Like, sex is to be a secret. Sex is to please him, and um, that really fucked me up in my mind for a long time. Because after that, I saw sex as this thing that I was just bringing other people pleasure, and that's what my purpose for, was for it. And I didn't realize that like early on, I wanted to feel that too. It always was about, I slept with primarily men and it was always about how they were getting off and never really about me. Um, But yeah, that strikes a chord because I don't really know how to label that experience in my life. I go back and forth on that, but I feel like, you know, I have, younger siblings and I don't even need to say a sister or brother or anything I just have younger siblings and for their future of having intimate relationships with someone I I really hope it's with someone who's not taking advantage of them and with someone who um is open to consider the things we've talked about so far like how do I drop into my body and like how do we both have a good experience in this so yeah I think it starts with these conversations for sure yeah
2: yeah I was Thank you for sharing that as well something that i was thinking about as you were speaking was like yeah how do we build protection around our people how do we build community and collective protection and part of it is having these conversations um and so i'm also just experiencing a lot of gratitude for the fact that we are having these conversations and it feels good and safe to be able to talk about these things
1: how can we as a society normalize sex throughout all the many stages and ages of life um as well as when you're not fully able
2: yeah I think that's a really beautiful question um especially because (laughs) I specialize in youth work but uh, my profession is what we like to call cradle to grave um and people are like your sex what like sex cradle what tell me i don't understand um and the idea behind that is taking again like genitals and our like traditional understanding of sex out of the word sex like that definition exists as part of it but it's not the entirety of it um so when we're really young and we're talking about sex that doesn't look like telling young people about genitals or about erections or about getting wet or any of those things. It looks like, how do you feel in your body? Do you know where your body is in space? Do you know when you get angry, what it feels like in your body? Do you know what it feels like in your body when you're happy? How do you know these things? How do you communicate these things to yourself? How do you communicate these things to other people? And that like very basic kindergarten level lesson is something that I often go back to as an adult, and I hope that we continue going back to it throughout our lives. Okay, where in my body am I feeling resistance? Where am I feeling pleasure? Where am I feeling eroticism? How do I communicate these things to myself and to my partner or partners? And then I think there's a really, really beautiful and mostly robust canon of work around um palliative pleasure um and like end of life pleasure and just like the conversation changes each year and each moment of the day the conversation also really changes when you're at end of life and i'm not an expert in end of life care my mom is um and i'm surrounded by a lot of teachers who are but what i've learned from them is that again we're taking the traditional definition of sex out of the room it is a possibility but it's not the only possibility the other possibilities are about connection and they're about intimacy they're about touch that feels gentle and good and caring they're about grieving together and also being able to have joy together in grief
0: yeah i love that and also that reminds me joy like i just was introduced to the concept of an energetic orgasm it was explained Mm -hmm. to me and um, I have been exploring that with my husband and what that is essentially is like exploring like hovering your hands above each other and like providing safe space for each other and like being you know naked while doing that and like that feels really safe to me but it also is nice because even those like light like touches on your arm or just even like like putting your hair behind your ear or something kind like that like really like that does a lot for me like it makes me feel safe and I feel really good it really does feel like an energetic orgasm for me and I had never considered that as a way of receiving pleasure before yeah I love that I feel like the representation I've seen of quote, sex um, through porn and through, like, literature, um, meaning, like, fantasy novels, has always been, like, a younger couple to their mid-40s, maybe, and in our culture, I believe we really shut the door on um, the geriatric years of our lives, Mm -hmm. and we choose to, like, not talk about death directly, at least in – in the culture I'm involved in death is like not normally talked about and neither is sex towards the end of life so I just feel like that door gets really shut and then we all not all excuse me a lot of people are going to experience that and a lot of people are going to experience other people entering that phase of their lives and if we don't have any discussion around it then we really can't you know provide the support that could be due there that could be needed so yeah i think talking about sex in older years and what that can be like is really vital yeah
2: yeah and i think everybody dies like we will all Mm -hmm. die and many of us are in the process of becoming disabled as our bodies age if we're not already um in some ways it is a privilege to reach an age where our bodies start to deteriorate Um, And it's also a very real experience that we need to talk about in terms of how do we engage in pleasure and connection. And my, like, general understanding of it is that, like, geriatric folks are doing fine. The highest rates of STIs, other than in youth, are in retirement homes. (laughs) Like, getting it on. (laughs) They're okay. but. They also need to know that they're exposing themselves to STIs because no, pregnancy is not a risk anymore, but STIs are (laughs) like awesome for them. Yes, we need more sex education overall.
1: (laughs) Wow. Do you, I reckon though, that's probably, I'm making presumptions. Mm -hmm. I feel like STIs probably weren't as much of a thing when the people that are now really old, they probably didn't have as many concerns about that, but I guess it's because they weren't as promiscuous, right? As we, promiscuous, not the right word, but you know, they weren't having sex with as many partners as we were, generally speaking. The people that are now 80, they were like, they were like, getting married at 19, (laughs) and, (laughs) but yeah, that's really, um, really interesting.
2: I don't know. Like, I truly mm. don't know the statistics. My best guess would be to say that a lot of us, regardless of our age, regardless of our era, we're having a lot of sex with a lot of different people, whether or not we talked about it is the thing that's changed.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's and that also flips um, you know, into a question we had as well, is like, how do you bring up, and I know that this is, a very um dense topic there's a lot in this a lot of literature a lot of education that needs to happen but what are some beginner stages ways can someone bring up to their long-term partner that they're interested in introducing another partner in the bedroom yeah. um this i think you know as we're talking about older years something that i've considered a lot is you know humans are living a little bit longer now we're living up to our eighties or nineties. And so that really means we have to, you know, really consider what we can, what we want in our partnerships. Do we really want to only be with one sexual partner until we are in our nineties, you know? So I think that, you know, that discussion is individualized for everyone, but for those who are saying, you know, I, I love the person I've been with for, 50 plus years. And now I would love to experience, you know, intimacy with another human being as well without Mm -hmm. making that other partner feel rejected. Yeah. That's
2: a really good question. And I would say that if you go into that conversation with the hopes of avoiding certain feelings, I don't think that's a realistic hope or expectation. I think we're going to feel rejection. We're going to feel pain. We're going to feel hurt. Change is scary. And I think if we go into those conversations, naming all of the things that we might feel rejection, pain, hurt, betrayal, you know, and with a willingness to hold those things together, I think that's where the conversation can start. And the two other things I would say around that is uh, read the book Polysecure regardless of whether or not you're interested in polyamory. Um, and the other, well, actually two, two other more things that I want to say. A question that I think is really important to interrogate because I think all of the things that we've been taught are really important to interrogate, right? Like why were we taught that penis mm-hmm. and vagina sex is like the a priori, like gold standard of sex? Uh, like why is heteronormativity like such a pervasive thing? um why when we talk about sex are we excluding the experiences of like vast numbers of people um regardless of whether or not they're in you know externally heterosexual relationships why are we taught that monogamy is the only answer why are we taught that monogamy is like the gold standard that we're (coughs) excuse me supposed to achieve um Mm -hmm. Usually the answer comes back to uh, some form of white supremacy and maintaining capitalism. And I think starting the conversation by interrogating those questions together can be really useful because yes, we are all soaked in white supremacy. Yes, we are all soaked in the myth of achievement and productivity in capitalism. And if we don't start internally in ourselves and internally in our relationships by unraveling some of those things, it's going to be really, really challenging to then step into something that like white supremacy, capitalist, hetero, patriarchal culture tells us is deviant. Um, mm. So that's the other thing I would say about it. And the third thing I would say about it is maybe it's about introducing someone new in the bedroom. Maybe it's about expanding the ways that you love. Maybe it's about expanding the ways that you relate to other people. Um, physically emotionally mentally maybe it's just a general expansion uh, outside of the bounds of what we've been given or told is normative
0: yes yeah like that's super drilled into me like when I even said it I'm like when you're with your long-term partner for like 50 plus years like, mm-hmm. that shows you exactly how indoctrinated that has become into my life without as much question and curiosity you know and that's I think gonna be something that I think other listeners will be able to relate to and that this is gonna be in many ways I think an episode that is really gonna help people because it's like okay where did that come from Janessa who who told you you had to be with one person the rest of your life or that you even had to be with someone the rest of your life you know Mm -hmm. so um Yeah, no, I I love that you bring that up, Joey, because it really comes back to other systematic issues that are present and pervasive, like you're saying. So thank you. I I I know I have a lot to ponder.
2: (laughs) And I will say that doesn't mean it's not useful. Like, this is the world we live in. Sometimes it is useful and safer to engage in the things that we're given as like the thing we're supposed to be achieving. That is real and that is like a choice that we get to make but i don't think that it's a choice that we get to make until we've had those conversations or at least like thought about those things that's my hope anyway but amy you were going to say something
1: yeah i think it's i think challenging those views and those norms is a really healthy thing to do when you're processing being diagnosed with a chronic illness or having sex with a chronic illness because a lot of any sort of illness or just any (laughs) time but um i think when you're i think a lot of that narrative is what feeds into our like am i good enough now Mm. who's gonna love me now am i worthy of this now and that all comes well it doesn't all come but a lot of that comes from the, the our normal socioeconomic beliefs of like you have to be productive and you have to meet these standards um so yeah i just think that kind of comes back really beautifully into the securities that our listeners may feel about sex
2: yes and let me say my goodness in the united states if you are disabled and you're receiving disability benefits your disability benefits will go away if you get married even if you marry another what? person on disability benefits because now you have two incomes, sort of. And if you make over a certain amount, there's something called an asset cliff. If you have any assets over a certain amount of dollars, if you make anything over a certain amount of dollars, if you have benefits over a certain amount of dollars, you will lose your disability benefits. And so it is it's baked in, it's codified in the United States that people that disabled people are not. Uh, "Quote unquote productive citizens," and so therefore they do not deserve to thrive. They do not deserve pleasure. They do not deserve anything but basic survival. And so, mm-hmm. like that, just that is also just a codified system that we exist under. And I think it's really important to name that along with your point, Amy. <laughs> yeah. Which is thought have
0: fighting, fighting. Yeah. Uh, wow. And, and that, gosh, yeah, that just totally loops back into what you're saying, Amy. Like. I know that when I was first diagnosed and I was experiencing so much pain and I wasn't able to be productive in the ways I used to be, that I wrapped my self-worth in productivity. And Amy and I talked about this in our previous episode too, but it's hard not to when you it's such a huge part of a capitalistic society you live in to not put your self-worth with productivity. So yeah, that is really interesting to me how that is carried through with like minimal benefits because that really solidifies what what systematically they want us to think is you're not useful if you're not providing for like a large company or you're not having a large output in life so yeah that's Mm -hmm. ridiculous and like yeah Yeah. you don't you don't need to do anything to be worthy or to be loved it's just inherently there. love is there
2: yes one of my most fervent truths let me see if I have the like post it no I don't have it right now but is that all bodies have inherent immutable worth and all bodies have value by virtue of existing Mm -hmm. and that's it
0: yeah it's beautiful I love that I just got chills (laughs) oh man and so Joey I want to ask because we got this question as well Mm -hmm. and I think this is super important would you say sexual health and I'm sure I I feel the the answer I'm going to get but I want to answer this or ask this because I know people will think this as well Is like do you think sexual health is as important as physical and mental health
2: Mm mm-hmm It's funny, I read that question, and my initial response was like, yes. And then I took a second, and I was like, sexual health is physical health, and sexual health is mental health, and mental health is sexual health, and physical health is sexual health. These things are not... We profit as a society, and by we, I mean structures of oppression and systems of oppression, Profit by truncating our sexual beings and our pleasure seeking beings and our pleasure deserving beings from the parts of ourselves that are able to work a 40 hour work week with like two weeks of vacation, right? If we were actually allowed to embody our like fully erotic selves or our full selves that like needed and deserved and sought pleasure, I don't know anybody who'd be like in the office 40 hours a week, like I'd, you know. Be seeking out a good time
0: in all of the ways that that can <laughs> manifest. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that; those are so intertwined. So
1: true. Yeah, and I do think um, to add again a kind of like practical viewpoint on this: mm-hmm. sexual health can really benefit your physical health as well, which I know mm-hmm. you did just confirm, Joey, But like if I'm I in pain and like up at night nice little orgasm knocks me right out yeah not not 100% of the time but you know if like I find it super soothing really relaxing and yeah it's a it's a decent cure for insomnia so Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah they really are they really are all combined
2: yes and if you are absolutely and like knowing what feels good for you like There's a very common narrative that um, orgasms during menstruation alleviates pain for some people. But for me, uh, like 20 minutes after an orgasm, if I'm menstruating, I get awful, awful cervical cramps. And so that's like something that I know about myself. And it's a choice I get to make when I am menstruating um, around sex. And the other thing is that if you're somebody who is dealing with a disability, if you're somebody who's dealing with a chronic illness, if you are on certain kinds of medications like Your sexual health is your physical health is your mental health and it's important to know how these things interact in your body right like i think there was a question around um biologics and yeast infections yes and let me say just for the record and also like so everybody knows i'm not a medical provider i'm not licensed in any way as somebody who can give medical advice um This is based on my understanding and my work in adolescent health clinics and adolescent health care as a sexual health educator and health educator. Um, When we're on medications, oftentimes for many, many, many people, we have a very fragile vaginal biome. And when that is messed with in any way, when we introduce any external stimulus that our biome doesn't like, it can cause yeast infections. Um, And it can, because of the sort of like it misbalance or imbalance in that vaginal biome. Um, and there's an enormous body, not an enormous body. There's a very small body of very exciting work happening right now, studying um, vaginosis and um, BV, bacterial vaginosis, um, and sort of the like candida and the like yeast infections and the specific strains of fungi, uh, fungi that like we need in our vaginas um, versus like what's introduced and how we get yeast infections and then how those yeast infections can cause more yeast infections down the road. Mm. So wow. again, yeah, our sexual health is our vaginal health or is our mental health is our physical health is our
1: vaginal yeah, health. Vaginal health. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I think I also, I want to say to anyone who is listening because um, we had another question around has have their have our medications changed our sex drive made it so we don't get as wet and i'm gonna put just put it out there that i experienced so many changes and like in the last five years since i've been diagnosed of the different medications i've used i've been through the full roller coaster of all of that to, to do with myself like i actually i think i got an STI, like after being diagnosed, had never experienced one in my life. I don't know if that is to do with like immuno, the fact that I was immunocompromised and I, I wasn't, obviously I wasn't practising safe sex, but you know, so had that dealt with, I have had yeast infections, I have had changes in how my body physically responds to you know sexual stimulus, all of that, I've been there and I've literally been like, is this normal? Is this to do with my RA? And I feel like Janessa, I don't want to speak for Janessa, but I know we've had brief conversations before about Mm -hmm. how things have changed for her. And um, everyone is nothing to be ashamed of. Like everyone in the world is out there dealing with sexual health things, everyone. Whether they have a chronic illness or they don't, um, we don't need to be ashamed about it because we're all here having sex. And yet we feel we can't talk about all the the consequences of that. (laughs) We should be able to. It's, it's very very normal. Like you're not alone if you're if you're wondering about it, and you shouldn't you shouldn't feel any shame related to it whatsoever at all. Full stop.
0: Mm-hmm. And also, too, to add on, if you don't have sex drive currently, or it's like you feel you're in a state of low libido, the other thing to note, and like Joey said it earlier, like sex can be it's so broad, and like some people. Sex doesn't bring them pleasure the way it does other people. And if you're one of those people, then you've probably been really left out of the conversation and felt very alienated at some point in your life. And you don't need to. Like, you don't need to feel alienated at all because, you know, sex in terms of, you know, pleasure with someone else and intimacy will do it for some and won't do it for others. So if it doesn't do it for you, babe, don't you worry about it. That's not... Mm -hmm. Not anything to do with you. You're not wrong in any way on that.
2: Yes, exactly. And I would say if you are somebody who wants to or is desiring to change your sex drive, desire for sex, way you experience sex in any way, I would talk to a doctor that you trust to try and, like, get on a plan and get referrals um, to people who can help you out with that. Especially if your sex drive, libido, experiences around sex have changed because of medications.
0: mm mm-hmm. Yeah. And Joey, you know, that actually ties really well into another question we got where um, people are wondering, like, can we bring up sexual health with our regular like doctor um, mm. or is there a different specialist that's best to, um, you know, talk about this with?
2: Hmm. Oh, all right. Well, ideally resounding. Yes, your PCP, your GP should also know how to talk to you about sex realistically a lot of people don't a lot of doctors don't i also um teach uh medical providers about how to talk about sex particularly um through the lens of queer and trans health with their patients and sometimes i feel like we're starting with like all right your patients have bodies you know like (laughs) that's the way that medical school is taught at least in the united states and it's changing uh does not leave much room for pleasure um, and for being able to have open and honest and compassionate and um, like, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, I'm not sure it'll come back to me, but conversations around sex. Um, So yes. And you are an expert on your body and your experiences. And I trust you to know whether or not it feels good to bring this up with your provider. Um, there are a number of resources that I can um, give you all to put somewhere um, or yes. we can say I can say them. I don't know. what
0: feels best. <laughs> yeah. Joey, if you don't mind um, saying them and then what we'll do is we'll provide them in the show notes. And for mm-hmm. our folks in the UK and all around the world, we will do our best to find some um, resources that are available to you as well in the show notes.
1: Yeah, I'll definitely be able to find some. It's that sort of stuff. Well, I mean, you can literally go to any... Sec- the UK is really, obviously, the NHS. You can literally... I don't, I don't know if you have this, in the, but we can literally just go to any sexual health clinic, like, drop in. We used to have We used to have sexual health, like, a tour, come to our school and give us... in When I was in college, and give us, like, STI tests at school and give us pants that said, <laughs> like, i'll never forget it like we all got um like knickers that was just like have you been tested around like the band (laughs) we're like wearing our knickers oh Oh my god uk girls i hope this happened to you as well and you can relate um but obviously that was my own younger but yeah when you're older you can just book into your local sexual health service and get the full like mot for free whenever you want Which, oh as many gosh. times as you want yeah
0: i'm so <laughs> envious of that cheese
2: also like if anybody's listening and still has access to those pants and wants to like yeah mail a pair Oh, I love that so much because we were not taught that. We were taught that STIs were shameful, that they will cause irrevocable damage, um, and that if you have an STI, you are dirty. And that is like absolutely, like, let me just be very, very, very clear here. If you are a person in the world who has sex, you will probably experience an STI, particularly if you're having penetrative sex with anything, fingers, penises that are attached to people's bodies, penises that are detachable, toys, whatever. Likely you will experience an STI and it is normal if you are a person in the world and I started this analogy pre-COVID, so just like transport yourselves mentally pre-COVID for a moment and you go out into the world, you will probably get a cold at some point. We do things to protect ourselves. We take vitamins, we drink soup or tea when we're feeling a little scratchy in the throat um so we do things to mitigate those risks but you'll still get a cold and it's not a shameful thing if you're a person who has sex you can do things to mitigate your risks you can do things to have conversations around it but it is not a shameful thing to have an STI it is a normal human experience
0: Mm -hmm. yes and that is the hill I die on (laughs) Mm -hmm. I love that I have a friend who um they have a they're a vagina bodied person and they when they have experienced STIs they say my vagina has a cold right now so it's yeah. just not sexually active and once it's over it's cold we'll be back out there <laughs> i'm like hell yeah
2: <laughs> i love that and i will also say it is important to get tested so that you can communicate your sti status with your partner or partners and it is important to get treated because if you don't get treated um yes there are things that can start impacting your body in ways that can be damaging long term so normalize testing normalize stis normalize sti conversations um yeah i will say in the united states it is pretty dependent on what state you live in whether or not you can access sti mm-hmm. clinics um and where and how close um but yes i will definitely put some resources out there around
1: that so this feels like a good time to wrap up part one uh, we have got so much more to come in part two including discussing masturbation and porn sex toys sex aids and our favorite sex positions and tips for when you deal with pain so we will see you again in two weeks time and until then remember to let the light in bye